Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Isn't it remarkable how much control we have that we think we know how things should go instead of just being in a wonder of like, wow, it actually went the way I thought. What would it be like to live in that place without the frustration, parentheses, that is entirely predicated on control? Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. People want change, or at least they say they want change, but really they want to be told how to change, and then they want that process to be easy. This reflects our distorted and unhealthy relationship with change. We want acute control over how and when change happens to us and in our lives, and then inevitably we get frustrated because, well, that's just not how life works. Have you noticed? When we start looking at reality with the assumption that this is true, that change is predictable and we can actually control it, what we're really doing is creating the perfect storm of resistance and suffering. Today I want to explore this relationship, how it creates frustration in our lives, and ultimately how awareness of this relationship can put an end to that unproductive cycle. And hey, listen up, we've got a brand new live course starting January 10th, and it's a good one, so I don't want you to miss out. It's called Managing with Inquiry, Create Powerful Change Through Radical Acceptance, and it's directly related to today's podcast. If you've tried on the teachings of Clear and Open even just a tiny bit, you already know the real power is in not in doing, but in undoing. In the new 11-week course, I'll be teaching you how to use the power of questioning yourself to create radical change and how to accept how that change happens and letting go of control. When you have the guts to look in the mirror, you can completely undo the limiting beliefs, negative patterns, and untrue assumptions that are holding you back and fast. I'm extra excited about this new course because I'm changing things up a bit and making this one very hands-on like a workshop. You're going to get the kind of attention usually only my one-on-one clients get, but at a fraction of the cost. Each week, I'll work with people individually toward the benefit of the whole group. And you're going to learn how to use inquiry with others so you can uncover the power of your colleagues and employees as well. This will be the most powerful course I've ever taught. I'm so excited to do it. You'll learn how to free up energy, time, and focus by being more in reality and less in stress, anxiety, and overwhelm. Imagine a life where wherever you feel stressed or upset, you know you're just a few deep questions away from it disappearing. If that's something you're into, then this is the course for you. You can find out more at clearandopen.com slash inquiry. That's clearandopen.com slash inquiry. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the podcast. What is your relationship to change? That's the non-rhetorical part. And the, the more rhetorical part is what if, sort of an inquiry, what if your relationship to change were the most important thing in your life? What if your relationship to change were the most important thing in your life? This is what's been on my mind recently. Because that's really what I do is, is I'm, I'm facilitating people's relationship to change. 
And we have this idea that change is hard, right? Change is hard. New habits take 21 days, which is absolute crap. That was come came from a study, one study that was done, and then they averaged. They took an average, you know, like this many people, these changes, it took six months. These people made these changes in four days and they averaged it all together and said 21 days. Now, how useful is that really? Now, it's of course, it's a useful sort of uh, societal bromide because it tells us, well, if you want to make a change, you got to stick with it for a while. And three weeks is certainly sticking with the change for a while. And it appeals to our reductionistic minds that love recipes, right? You combine flour, eggs, and chocolate chips, and baking powder, and sugar, and you will have a cookie, right? That's what happens when you bake something. It's a leap of faith. You've never baked it before, and here is this recipe. And if you just do what it says to the letter, it, you will produce the thing just like in the beautiful picture, right? And how much of life is actually that way? I mean, even baking doesn't usually go over so well. It really looks like the picture, right? And you learn, oh, I need to put the cookie dough in the fridge for a half an hour to get it to end up that thick or whatever it is, right? Because the recipes, you know, they're usually poorly written and untested. You know, you all have favorite recipes and you've all tweaked them, right? Oh, I found if I do this or my water is a little hard, so therefore, right? But we love the idea. You just do this and it will come out the way you want. And that speaks to a relationship to change that we have, right? What do we want? We want the guarantee. We want the the guaranteed result. You input X amount of effort and you receive Y result. It's wonderful. It's a terrific idea, isn't it? But is it anything beyond an idea? Like what referent in reality does it actually have? You know, it's a known, it's it's a it's a knownness. Do this and then that will happen. You could, you know, follow the recipe, follow the cookie recipe 20 times. Does it come out the same way every time? If you're Mrs. Fields, maybe, and you've like really nailed down. How it works, but there's variations you didn't even realize are going on. Right. So just to notice first that we love that that control. We so want that, and then mostly we look at our reality through the lens of that. And when things go as planned, we think good, and when things don't go as planned, we go bad. Like we're baking cookies, right? Through the lens of it's supposed to go how I wanted it to go. That's the existential should. That's the lens we look through that we don't even realize. It's supposed to go the way I wanted it to go. Mm -hmm. Who says? Where'd you get that idea? Well, because it happens so often that way? <laughs> Certainly not that, right? Because if you really look, most of what's happening in your life is going slightly different than you planned, but only always, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, as as the, the poor handyman that I am, I, I haven't changed the oil on my own car in uh, 20 years. 
because I'm, you know, it's not that expensive to do, and uh, you know, usually doesn't take very long, and and uh, so I did it for the first time for myself, and I have a truck, and it happens to be lifted, uh, which is terrific. So it was really easy. You can get under it easy. It's a truck. It's super. You know, I got the filter off with my hand. I didn't even need a filter wrench, and I had some anxiety about doing it. Because I remember being like 24, 25, and I sort of was a little sick, I think, at the time. And I spent 45 minutes trying to turn the oil filter the wrong way with a wrench before I realized it was going the wrong way. I'm very easily turned around. I have a terrible sense of direction. And whenever I work on something mechanical, there's always a risk that Joseph's going to make it far worse. Even though I've learned a lot. And I've owned three different houses. I've become handy, but there's always this wild card of it could be if I'm not focused or overconfident that you know I strip the screw out or break something. I, it's I've done it, you know, plenty of times. So there's, that's always the risk. That's why I'm not a professional handyman. <laughs> I could never do it. I don't think. So. So I'm cha- so in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, I've never changed the oil on this truck, but I found a YouTube video. This is also different from 25 years ago. A YouTube video that shows you how to do it on my specific model, right? Wow, what an amazing thing we have, right? You need a 14 millimeter socket wrench with a six inch extension. Wow, I have that. Okay, I don't even have to fumble around with finding the right size, you know. So I have everything I need, and then at the very end, I put the last quart of oil in. And I knew I needed to do a little bit more of the next quart. And then I realized that I had actually poured all six quarts of oil in and it only needed five and a half, 5.8. Damn it. I almost did it exactly as planned, right? And then I spent 15, 20 minutes researching on the internet how much oil is too much oil. Because if you have too much oil by a lot, it can create a froth and cause serious engine damage and all that. So it took me about 15 minutes to put my mind at ease and realize that you have, have to be two or three quarts over to really do that kind of damage. And you know, half to half or less is really not going to do it. And I've since driven the truck and it hasn't exploded. So that's good. But even something like that, right? And so while I was looking at the internet, there was this frustration that descended upon me. I was like, oh man, I can't do anything right. I'm so not handy. Oh, and by the way, I didn't say the reason I did it myself was because I live kind of rurally and it's like an hour drive into town, an hour back. There's long waits for oil changes. It just made sense. Like it's, it's just from a time perspective, made sense to, to do it. That's why I decided to do it. And so while I'm looking at the internet research, you're looking at discussion boards, people arguing about it because that's what happens when you research these things, right? Someone's very strong opinion that it really matters. Someone else is like, no, it doesn't. And you're trying to like discern the nuances and who knows and all that. And I'm just frustrated. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. This shouldn't be happening. I should have, uh, you know, gotten it right. And all of that, all of that frustration was completely made up, founded on the presupposition I had that it should have gone how I planned. Right? That frustration cannot exist without the presupposition it should have gone off gone off without a hitch. Which is really quite funny, isn't it? Because even something as simple as changing your oil, which has like, you know, six steps to it. Like baking a cake, you know? It's not that way. I mean, even making a glass of lemonade, you know? 
stuff can go wrong. And even this, even the saying going wrong, wrong according to what? According to what I had planned, of course. Well, what makes you think that your plan was right? Where do we get that idea? You know, on your best days, maybe three quarters of stuff goes as planned, probably more like half, right? And even that idea, oh, it was a really good day. Why? Everything went according to plan. You know, and hey, it's a good feeling. I love, you know, having some drywall to patch or a faucet to replace or something. And, you know, one in a hundred times it goes exactly as planned no hitches, no missing parts, no leaks, no absence of Teflon tape or whatever it is. And it just happens. And it's like, wow, I expect, you know, streamers to come from the ceiling and balloons because it's actually so rare, isn't it? Isn't it remarkable how much control we have that we think we know how things should go? And when they go that way, we go good. And when they don't, we go bad. Instead of just being in a wonder of like, wow, it actually went the way I thought. Or wow, equally, wow, it didn't go the way I thought. I'm not really surprised because it really does. What would it be like to live in that place without the frustration, parentheses, that is entirely predicated on control. You can't be frustrated without control. You can't be frustrated without a sense of this is what should have happened and it's not. Frustration is entirely dependent on a thought. So here's something you can take away from this, if it's only one thing. When you're frustrated, find the thought. Find the thought. And this is going to be this a big part of the subject of our quarter one course about inquiry, because inquiry is about asking, is that really true? So when you're frustrated, it means you have a should. Conscious or not, there's a should somewhere in there. If it's a thought that had some that sounds something like X should have happened, not Y. And now you're frustrated because you completely made up what you think should have happened. So like, it's sunny right now. Most of the time people like when it's sunny. But I have a lot of plants, some of them young, and I don't want to have to water them. And the weather said that it was going to rain today. So in the back of my mind, there's like, should be raining. Oh man, I'm going to have to take time out of my day now to water stuff. I don't want to have to do that. I'm frustrated. You see how it works? You have to have the, it should be raining. Well, why should it be raining? Well, the weather said so. Uh-huh. And I don't want to have to water. Uh-huh. How do you know it should be raining? Well, because it just should. How do you know it should be sunny? Because it is. Right? Frustration is a place in which we live that is entirely optional if you can follow it back to the root thoughts and challenge with inquiry those shoulds. And have yourself a belly laugh about the shoulds that you have because as compelling, reasonable, desirable, logical optimistic, whatever those shoulds are, they could be the best shoulds in the world. 
Sociopaths shouldn't be president. That's a good one, right? Who says? Sociopaths have been leaders throughout history. Who says that shouldn't be? That's the way of things, isn't it? They're attracted to power. They're very confident. They're very clever. People tend to like them. So why shouldn't they be president? Well, it doesn't work. According to what? According to what metrics? Because human race is supposed to be characterized by peace on earth and everybody getting along? Who says? Now, I don't disagree that I would like that, but that's the key distinction, right? The key distinction is between a preference and a should. Preferences do not cause suffering. Right? If you're, uh, you know, at a wedding and you get the uh, archetypal chicken or fish choice offered to you and they bring you the wrong one and you're out of your mind upset about it, you had more than a preference. You had an attachment. Right? But most of the time, if that happened and it wasn't fixable, you would just eat whatever was put in front of you, right? You'd be fine with it. Like, well, this wasn't my preference, but hey, it's food. It's free, (laughs) lovely ambiance, cool people to talk to, hopefully. You would just eat it because you had a preference, not an attachment. But when our preferences slip into attachment with the aid of control, which creates the should, then we suffer. And then when we, rather than looking at how we cause our own suffering, We try to defend the frustration with a preference, right? Advocating for the preference. Well, this is how it should be. I asked really nicely. I've told this employee 10 times the same thing. They should get it by now. You see, all of that depends on the preference becoming a should. Because if, if instead you said to yourself, well, I would have liked the employee to get it by the third time, but here we are at the 10th time and they still don't get it. Hmm. No frustration. What would you do then? Now I know what you're thinking. Because I think it sometimes too. Well, if I'm not frustrated and have this kind of passionate energy about what's not working, then I may not change anything. Right? What's my motive for change if it's not a should? We should be profitable. We should have positive cash flow. Employees should do what they say they're going to do. Without that, what's the drive for growth? What's the drive for change? Anywhere, any of you thinking that during any of this? Good. You, so the, let's frame that as a belief. But if I don't have a should, I'll never be motivated to change anything. Right? That's the belief. And I would respond with, can you absolutely know that's true? Do you absolutely know that if you drop all of your shoulds and live a should-free existence, that you'll never want to change anything and everything will stay the same? Can you absolutely know that? And what's your reaction when you believe that thought? You see? Because you don't actually know that. And where that question comes from, and it's of course a reasonable question, but can you see where it comes from is living inside the 
should frustration paradigm so much that it's your only fuel source. It's more than a little bit analogous to like a car that runs on something other than gasoline, right? But I'm like, every car I've ever driven runs on gasoline. Well, here's a car that can run on water or garbage or electricity. And what's the first reaction? Well, that can't be. Can it go as far? Can it go as fast? You know, you ask a thousand people about that, they'll have all sorts of opinions about what an electric car, for example, can and can't do. I've got an electric chainsaw. It rocks. Is it as powerful as a gas chainsaw? Not quite, but it gets the job done. And when I talk with people about it, they're like, yeah, they're not as powerful. Have you ever used one? No, they haven't. Oh, so where's that coming from? Something they made up. You can see this everywhere. People are living inside the stories that they make up. And that is a very specific relationship to change. Where the continuing to live inside the existing belief is more important than experimentation in reality. So my invitation to you, and we're going to actually do this in one way in, in the course, but here's a really specific angle on it. My invitation to you is to take on the project of living a frustration-free existence. It will not happen overnight, but it starts with considering that while frustration is a very normal experience, it is completely optional. I'm not saying all pain is completely optional. I'm saying the specific emotion, sense of frustration is completely optional. And that with practice, you can live a frustration-free life. And that is not something for you to believe. It is a model for you to try on and experiment with. By by doing this, every time you feel frustration, what happens when we're frustrated? Well, what we tend to do is kind of indulge it, right? We think the thought and we think it again and we think about this different way. And then we want to tell some people about it. Hey, let me tell you about the thing I'm frustrated about, this thing that shouldn't be. I've got a client who won't listen and it's frustrating for me. Yeah. And then talk to another coach. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. I've got clients who don't listen either. Isn't that frustrating? Yeah. Shake hands. Okay. Well, we agree on our picture of reality, right? Then maybe think about it some more. Maybe I go exercise and it feels a little better. Maybe I talk to a client who does listen and then I go, oh, okay. Well, at least it's not all clients who don't listen, right? That's all inside the frustration paradigm. You know, and eventually it sort of passes and I become a happy person again, whatever that means, right? That's typically what we do with frustration. Maybe we act it out in some way as it gets us into trouble. That can happen too. But instead of that, instead of all of that, what if the way you related to frustration was as soon as you notice, just like in meditation, as soon as you notice the thoughts, as soon as you notice the frustration, you went, oh boy, I'm frustrated. Time to investigate where that came from. Well, I want to call someone up and tell them how frustrated we are. Hold on. Maybe this frustration is entirely optional. Let's see if I can find the should that the frustration depends on. I'll have a client who doesn't listen and 
and they should be listening because they're spending a lot of money. And whoa, what, what? Huh? <laughs> Why is it you think they should listen? Have you ever met a person who always listened all the time? Have you ever had a client who always listened all the time? Is it possible that actually human beings sometimes don't always listen and that's just the way they are? What if that were the case? What are you getting so upset about? Oh, I see. You would prefer it for people to listen all the time. Uh Uh-huh. Like chicken or fish, right? (laughs) I ordered chicken and you gave me fish and I'm going to ruin this entire wedding because of it. Wouldn't that be funny? It's probably happened. Given all the weddings in the world that have happened. Someone probably ruined an entire wedding because somebody gave him the wrong dish. I bet you that's happened. You, you've seen it, Tiffany? You've been at one? <laughs> well, I mean, I deal with people who have conniptions if one little thing's wrong in their yeah. food. So I can guarantee you it happens because people are so emotionally tied to their, their eating. Yeah. See, Tiffany's an, an industry expert. You would know. <laughs> so yeah. So is it, it... And it's not actually hard to do this. But it is different. And this is sort of where we start talking about the relationship to change. Because you may think like, okay, well, she's stopping and being quiet and thinking about what the should is that's causing the frustration. Well, that's a lot of work. And that's like, you know, looking in the mirror and well, is it as much work as being frustrated for a day or two? Because it takes less time. I mean, you know, if you really sit quietly, it's not hard. It can take five, 10 minutes if you're really stuck, maybe a half a day if you're really stuck. It's usually not hard to find the source of the frustration in the form of a should. So that brings us back to one of the questions I've been toying around with, the belief that change is hard. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.